Let's pray. God, uh, we come to you this morning, God, because the riches of your love really are enough. And uh, God, I pray as we dive into today's topic, God, that you would open our hearts and our shut off our minds, God, and let us focus on you, God. Because that's what you've called us to do. You've called us to um, to walk in communion with you. And uh, not just now, but always. And God, I pray now as uh, we walk through this together, that God, as we talk through this topic, that because it's a topic that maybe we know a little bit about, and um, God, I pray that our familiarness with it wouldn't allow us to be contemptuous of the topic and that, God, you would use it in our lives, God, to help us to walk into maturity with you, into communion with you, into understanding with you, God, that each and every day we would walk with you and have that relationship with you, God, that you desire. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. Uh, my name's Chris. I'm one of the staff members here, and uh, JJ will be back next week to uh, kick off our Wonder Life series. But um, I'm I'm a relatively new parent. Uh, I'm I'm 44. I became a parent three years ago when we adopted our two little boys, and it's been kind of an interesting journey these past three years because, you know. When you become a parent, there's there's a lot of things that kind of begin to run through your mind because, you know, you you begin to think, you know, what what do I want them to grow up and be like? Who who you know, what what values do I want them to have? What passions do I want them to have? Uh, what what are the things that I want to teach them that I want to kind of leave as my legacy and. It's interesting because you, you don't really know kind of, you know, what they're picking up. You know, you, there are days that you think, you know what, oh, man, I'm, I'm just excited because, you know, they're doing this thing that, that I, you know, that they've, they've picked up for me and it's really cool. Um, but then sometimes they do things and uh, they do things and you think, you know, where, where did they get that from? And then you're reminded, oh, yeah, that was me that, you know, that they learned that from. And so... So they, you know, they're constantly picking up on those things. And, and you never really know how much. I think maybe you saw a little earlier um, one of the things. But uh, a couple months ago, uh, just a funny thing. We were actually in North Carolina, and we were staying with my parents. And this is our four-year-old. His name is Benjamin. And he loves, like, if he's in a room, he wants to be the center of attention. And, uh, you know, kind of thinking along what those things are that they pick up from you, you never really know what it is until all of a sudden it kind of pops on you. And we were out at my parents and we had sat down to dinner and my dad was sitting there and he just kind of, he was sitting there, he was thinking about something and he had his his arm propped like this and he just had his face like that. And then all of a sudden Benjamin did the same thing and said, why you do that? Why you do that? And so this is his impersonation of grandpa. Um, in fact, this was... Just a couple of weeks ago, on the first day of school, I started taking pictures, and all of a sudden, this popped out. So, um, but then, you know, a couple of weeks ago, he actually did it again um, with my grand, my my grandfather, his great grandfather. We were over visiting my aunt, and he disappeared all of a sudden, and then he came out, and he had this hat on, and 
grandpa's cane. And he even does, like, he'll walk like grandpa with the cane and everything. So he does his, just little, his impersonation, okay? Um, but then sometimes, you know, they kind of pick up stuff that maybe you don't really expect, um, kind of like this impersonation of me. So, <laughs> no, just kidding. So, anyway, um, so, but, but, but think about that. If you're, you're a parent or maybe you're around younger kids, um, a lot and, you know, what we want, what we desire is we want them to grow up and to have those, those passions, those values, those ideas that we have. Now, you know, sometimes we take it a little too far or we, you know, we, we push them too hard or whatever, but ultimately that's what we want. And that's really what God wants for us too. He wants us to grow up and to have his passions. He wants us to mature and have his values and his ideas. In, in, in Genesis 126, it says that God created us in his image. And ever since then, we've been messing that up. But that's what he desires for us. He desires for us to mature into these people that have his passions. And so that's what I think today, as we kind of walk through today's topic, I think that's the main reason that God calls us to this topic that we're going to talk about. Now, you, you probably figured it out right now. We're, we're actually talking about communion, okay? And um, we'll, we'll get into all of that in just a minute. But if you're just, maybe this is your first Sunday, or maybe, you know, you've been gone for a little while or whatever, we're actually wrapping up a series today called What's the Point? And it was actually just, the idea came from like a play off the name of Ridgepoint Church. Um, what's the point of the things that we do as a church? And we haven't covered all of them, but we've covered some things over these past few weeks that kind of make us who we are as a church. You know, the first week we talked about build and bring, you know, that we want to um, build relationships with people out in the community and then bring them to church with us. Then we talked about service or volunteering and, and what that looked like and, and why it's so important. And then last week we talked about a really important topic and we'll, we'll come back to this a little bit later on today. But we talk about community and groups and why that's so important. Now, with all of those, with all those other three things that we've talked about so far, those are particular strategies that we use as a church. Now, I would say, you know, obviously over the last three weeks, we pointed to specific scriptures and said, this is why we do what we do. This is why we use this as a strategy in our church, okay? Today's topic's a little bit different. I, I think it is something that Scripture very definitely calls us to, but maybe it's not particularly a strategy that we use as a church. It's something, it's, I would say, I would use the word ordinance, that it's something that God calls us to do, um, that kind of, that celebrates Him, that actually brings us, aligns those passions that He has, that aligns our passions with His. In fact, I would say it this way, that Communion aligns our passions with God's passions or with Jesus's passions. So, so this, this particular topic, I, you know, God calls us very specifically to, to celebrate this. Now, it is one of those things where, you know, like those other strategies, every, you know, all across Christianity or all across the church as a whole, everybody does them a little bit differently. And communion is kind of like that too, you know, depending on what church you go to or whatever, it might be done a little bit differently. In fact, 
a lot of times we don't do this in this setting, okay? Um, for a, a very specific reason. You know, we've, we've created this setting, this church setting, where you can build and bring, where you can build relationships with people that are out in the community who maybe aren't believers, who maybe have never stepped in church before in their life. And we've created an environment where hopefully they feel somewhat comfortable, that they would come in, feel like they can sing, enjoy the music, all of that stuff, even if they don't necessarily, even if you don't necessarily buy into what it is that we're teaching. You don't totally believe what it is that we're teaching. So in that setting, we kind of think sometimes that it's weird to invite guests over and then say, hey, here's something that we're going to do, but you can't really participate in, okay? So that's kind of weird, all right? But communion's weird in some other ways, too. I mean, there you're going to see in just a minute as we kind of unpack it that some of the language that Jesus uses when he first celebrates communion or the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist or whatever it is that you want to call it, when he first celebrates it with his disciples, some of the language that he uses is very weird as well. So it's kind of a strange thing. And one of our goals is always to, like, if we do invite you here and we want you to participate or hang out or do whatever, that we don't want you to walk away confused today. And so that's our point today is for hopefully for you to walk out and have a little better understanding of what communion is. Even if you feel like when we get done, you're like, you know what? I'm not really going to go there, not going to really participate in that, but I'm going to watch what happens. I hope you at least walk away with a little better understanding of the point of it, okay? So we know that communion is really important because it's talked about a lot in the New Testament. In fact, there are four um, if you're not familiar with the New Testament, at the very beginning of the New Testament, there are four accounts of Jesus's life. We call them the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The passages that we're going to look at today are in three of those four, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We'll see, um, we're going to actually read from Luke, but we see them also in Matthew and Mark. This is where Jesus is specifically celebrating communion or the Lord's Supper or whatever you want to call it. We're going to call it communion for today where he celebrates communion with his disciples. In John, he doesn't, he doesn't use the exact same language. He actually gives us everything else that happened at this meal with Jesus and the disciples, all the other things that Jesus said at this meal, but he doesn't specifically go into the communion portion. But then we see it again also later on in the New Testament in a book called 1 Corinthians that was written by Paul. It was a letter that he wrote to the church at Corinth, basically kind of teaching them some things. In fact, in this case, some things that he saw that they were doing wrong and that they needed to fix, okay? So, and that's a pretty extensive passage. We're going to look at that a little bit too, but that kind of indicates to you some of the importance of this topic and why Jesus calls us to do it and why we see that so much time is spent with it. In fact, you can even go back and look at passages from the Old Testament that point toward this, that point toward this celebration of communion. So it's something that we find throughout Scripture. So huge, huge topic, okay? So even though it might seem weird, it is something that we're called to do, okay? Now, let's go ahead and let's start kind of unpacking this. What, what I, Kind of my goal today is to do this. First of all, I want to talk about why we celebrate communion. We're going to look at 
that Luke passage and then and kind of pick it apart and, and talk about why we celebrate communion. But then when we go to the Corinthians passage, I also want to talk about who should celebrate communion and um, how we should do it. OK, so that's kind of the goal for today. But let's go ahead and let's uh, let's look at Luke. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 22. So if you want to follow along in your Bible, you can. Otherwise, it'll be up here on the screen. And we're actually going to start in verse 14. OK, now let me set kind of the tone for you. What was going on at this time? Uh, Jesus had basically done his three years of ministry here on earth. Um, you can go back and kind of look at all of those different passages. But here he has now come into Jerusalem. And just a week prior to this, people had celebrated that he showed up in Jerusalem. They were excited. They were thrilled. And now a week later, things aren't looking so well. Okay. In fact, just hours from this passage that we're going to read, he's going to be arrested. He's going to be tried. And then ultimately, he is going to go to the cross. So this is all happening within hours of that. And here's why, here's one of the reasons that he shows up in Jerusalem, because he wants to celebrate the Passover with his disciples. So that's kind of the tone. This is where we're kind of running into this. And again, him celebrating Passover is one of those points back to the Old Testament. Now, we don't have time to tell the whole story, but uh, if you know the story of Moses leading the Egyptians out of um, Egypt, or excuse me, not the Egyptians, leaving, <laughs> leading the Hebrews out of Egypt. Um, basically, there were all these things that God kind of caused to happen to kind of encourage the Pharaoh to let the, um, let the Hebrews go, to let the Israelites go. And the last thing that he did is he actually basically came in and took the life of all the firstborn kids of the Egyptians. Well, he had told the Israelites before then, you know, take, kill this lamb, paint some blood on your doorpost, and we'll know, I'm going to know to pass over your house and not to take your firstborn son. That right there is kind of one of those things that's already pointing toward this communion, toward this Lord's Supper, till ultimately Jesus being the sacrifice for our sins. <clears throat> so they're getting ready to celebrate Passover. It says this, and we're starting again in verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you that I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Okay, now kind of keep that in your mind, because that's one of those things we're going to come back to in just a minute. For I tell you that I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Notice that kind of pattern. He keeps coming back to this idea that until the kingdom of God comes. Verse 19, and he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now. If you've never seen this passage or heard this passage before, you can understand why I say that this is weird. OK, this I mean, he's saying, hey, take this bread. This is my body. This is take this cup. This is my blood. 
I mean, imagine if you had been in the room with the disciples and he's saying these things to you. They were probably more weirded out than we are, okay? Because they had they had grown up within the kind of the Mosaic law and they were told you don't drink the blood of things. You don't you don't do these kinds of things. And then all of a sudden here Jesus is saying, here, take this bread. It's my body. Eat it. Take this cup, this wine and drink it. It's my blood. So. There, you know, I'm sure there was like this. What Jesus, what what are you talking about? But yet he does this now. Here, and I'll kind of pause here because I do want to come and I want to talk about why we do this and point to in these verses why we do this. But there are, I mentioned this before, that all across Christianity, there's all kinds of different ways that people do communion, okay? And what people believe about it. In fact, you know, that whole thing of this is my body, this is my um, blood, you know, there are, in, in parts of Christianity, there is the belief that when you take the bread and you take the wine that it literally becomes the body and the blood of Jesus. Okay? That that you're literally eating the body and the blood. Okay? Alright? I don't think that. Okay? Alright? But that's that's one belief. Okay? There's other thoughts of, you know, that it's partially his body, partially his blood. Okay? Here's what we believe. We believe that yes, that these things, these are symbols of what he did. They're symbols. This is a symbol of his body. It's a symbol of his blood. And if Jesus is present, Jesus is present here in spirit. Okay? Just like he's present in us as believers every single day. Okay? So there's not anything. I mean, it, it's an important thing. Um, there's not anything super mystical about it or anything like that. We believe that we're celebrating that we're, when we eat the bread and we drink in our case, the juice, okay, when we do those things, that we are remembering what he did for us and that he is here in spirit with us just like he is always, okay? So that having been said, let's talk about why we do it. Um, I think now there, I probably could come up with a list of 30 things, but I've got five that I just want to walk through real quick with you. First of all, we do it because it's a memorial to Jesus, okay? We, we celebrate communion because it's a memorial to what he did for us, okay? Um, it's, it's a way for us to pause in the middle of our busy lives where we're running and running and running and running and doing and doing and doing and doing to pause and say, wait a minute, I need to remember what Jesus has done for me, okay? So it's a memorial for what, to, to Jesus, it's also a reminder that Jesus brought us a new promise, okay? In fact, we saw that at the, the very last verse that we read there. It said, this is my blood that represents a new covenant, okay? So he, he brought us a new promise. You know, we don't, we're not bound by the Old Testament law, by the, all the stuff in Leviticus where it says you got to sacrifice this animal and do it this way and be purified this way and all of those things. Jesus brought us a new promise that says, if you believe in me, you believe that I came, that I lived as a human, that I, I was killed, um, that I was executed, crucified, and then I rose again so that you could be forgiven. That's the new promise. Okay, You can forget all that other stuff 
This is the new promise. So we're also celebrating that Jesus brought us a new promise. We're also remembering his resurrection or his death and his resurrection. Okay. Now, I would say it this way. We're not just remembering his death and resurrection. We should be remembering everything. We should remember that he chose to gave up to give up part of who he was as God. Come to this earth, live in human form like us, face all the temptations that we faced, get it right, even though we don't. And then was able to be the sacrifice that we needed that we needed. Okay, we need to remember that. In a few hours after he did this, he was arrested. He was put on trial in front of some high priests and Pilate. And he was unfairly beaten. He was unfairly convicted. They chose a murderer over him to be let loose so that he could be crucified. Then they beat him. Then they made him drag his cross toward where he was going to be crucified. And he fell, and he fell, and he fell, until finally they got somebody else to do it. Then they put him on that cross, and they nailed nails in his wrists, and then they put the cross in the ground, and he would have to lift himself so that he could breathe with those nails stuck in his wrists. And then ultimately, they pierced his side with a spear and all his blood drained out. And then he died. That's what we're remembering. But the cool thing is, is we're also remembering that three days later, he wasn't dead anymore that he was resurrected, that when Mary and the late other ladies got there and like all of a sudden he's gone, they're like, where is he? And then all of a sudden he shows up. And then Peter and John find out about it and they run to the tomb. And they found out that he was resurrected, that all of those things that he had been saying that they didn't really understand came true. That now he was resurrected He had died and been resurrected so that we can be forgiven. So it's a remembrance of his death and his resurrection. It's also, it also reminds us that he told us that he's coming again. Um, Although you remember, I told you to remember those references to, he's making this reference to, I'm not going to do this again until God's kingdom comes. He's reminding us that, yes, he's resurrected and that he came back. But he's coming again. So he's reminding us of that as well. That one of these days, we're going to celebrate communion, not in this setting. But as believers, we'll celebrate communion with him. And I imagine it's not going to be juice and a wafer. Okay? It's going to be pretty incredible. So he reminds us that he's coming again. But then I think think the last reason, I think... I don't know if it's the most important, but I think it kind of summarizes all of the other reasons. We do it because God wants to have fellowship with us. I mean, that ultimately, that's what it is. I, I think that encapsulates 
all of those things that we just said that we, we celebrate communion because God wants to have fellowship with us. I mean, you know, we saw in that passage that Jesus said, I, I wanted to sit and have Passover with you guys. He knew he was about to be gone. He wanted that moment of fellowship with them. And he wants that with us. Because as much as he did that for all of us, as he did all of those things that I just reminded you of, because he did all of those things for all of us, in the aggregate, he did those things for you, too. Not all of us. He did it specifically for you, too. If it had only been you, he still would have done it. So he wants that fellowship with us, that he wants us to, to walk with him, not just in this setting every day, but if we need to do this to remind us of that, then we should. So that's why we celebrate communion. It's in ultimately, communion allows us, allows, basically Jesus is aligning our passions with his. He wants us to get on the same page, to have the values, to mature in, in, in our faith so that we're more and more like him. But that having been said, later on, we're told that we should be, you know, we shouldn't just kind of play this off. This shouldn't just be something that we we take for granted. This is something that we should take very, very seriously. And that's what Paul warns us of in 1 Corinthians. So, but before we get there, I, I want to say this, because this is where we, we really do need to talk about who should celebrate communion. <clears throat> um, first of all, in 1 Corinthians, Paul is specifically specifically writing to believers, okay? He's writing to believers in Corinth, okay? So his instructions are for believers. And and, and that would be my first statement is that, first of all, if we're going to participate in communion, we, we need to be a believer, okay? Now, if you're not, if you're not, if you're not sure, you're still investigating, you're still trying to check things out, that's okay, all right? We've, we've created this for you, okay? And that's fine, all right? And I would say this, you know, some people get all up in arms about, oh, you shouldn't do that if you're not a believer. Well, first of all, it doesn't mean anything to you if you're not a believer, okay? I mean, all those things that I just said that we should be remembering, if you don't believe those things, then drinking a little juice and eating a wafer, it doesn't mean anything to you anyway, okay? So that's that's kind of our first thing, is, is that we have to, if we're going to participate in this, that we should be believers, okay? But then Paul kind of warns us that as believers, we also need to be careful as well. And that takes us to the passage that we're going to read next. Now, I'm actually going to read a lot, okay? Um, I think in the message, uh, does this, this paraphrase does a really good, um, gives a really great picture of kind of what Paul's warning about, okay? And uh, I think we'll be able to kind of walk away and know you know, what we need to do to prepare ourselves to do communion. So um, I'm actually, uh, this is in 1 Corinthians 11. I'm going to start in verse 17. And, but I want to kind of set the tone. Paul's teaching to the, the church at Corinth. Uh, and, you know, he's, like I said, he's kind of, he's basically telling them some things that they need to get right, that they need to fix. And, and that's also the case here with the Lord's Supper. Now, in the time, just this, give you a little little more context. 
when they celebrated the Lord's Supper, they did it within the context of their worship services. But their worship services wouldn't have been like this. They probably would have been in someone's home and they would have been sitting around together. And most likely they had two. They did the Lord's Supper as a separate thing. But then they also did a meal together called they, they called it love. You'll hear him use the term love feast or agape feast. Um, so that was the setting where they they were doing this. OK, kind of similar to our groups, you know, that we get together, we eat and then we study God's word. In fact, that's where a lot of times we encourage this to happen. Uh, we would rather this to happen in that setting, have do communion in that setting than in this setting. But, you know, because we're explaining it today, we're going to do it today. But that's kind of the setting that he's speaking into. So he says this, starting in verse 17, 1 Corinthians 11. Regarding this next item, I'm not at all pleased. Okay, so Paul's already a little upset. I'm getting the picture that when you meet together, it brings out your worst side instead of your best. First, I get this report on your divisiveness. Competing with each other and criticizing each other, I'm reluctant to believe it, but there it is. The best that can be said for it is that the testing process will bring truth into the open and confirm it. And then I find out that you bring your divisions to worship. You come together and instead of eating the Lord's Supper, you bring in a lot of food from the outside and make pigs of yourselves. Some are left out and go home hungry. Others have to be carried out too drunk to walk. I can't believe it. Do you have your own homes to eat and drink in? Why would you stoop to desecrating God's church? Why would you actually shame God's poor? I never would have believed you would stoop to this. And I'm not going to stand by and say nothing. Paul was not one to stand by and say nothing. Jumping down um, to verse 27. Anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the master irreverently is like part of the crowd that jeered and spit on him at his death. So if you're going to do this irreverently, if you're going to participate in the Lord's Supper and not remember and not do this with some sort of reverence, then you might as well have been there spitting on him while he was at the cross. That's how serious Paul says this is. Is that the kind of remembrance you want to be a part of? Examine your motives, test your heart, come to this meal in holy awe. If you give no thought or worse, don't care about the broken body of the maker when you eat it and drink, you're running the risk of serious consequences. That's why so many of you even now are listless and sick and others have gone to an early grave. If we get this straight now, we won't have to be straightened out later on. Better to be confronted by the master now than face a fiery confrontation later. So, my friends, when you come together to the Lord's table, be reverent courteous uh, and courteous with one another. If you're so hungry that you can't wait to be served, go home and get a sandwich. But by no means risk turning this meal into an eating and binging and drinking binge or a family squabble. It is a spiritual meal, a love feast. And to finish, I want to jump back up to one of the verses I skipped. Verse 26, he says this, what you must solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions the death of the master. You will be drawn back to this meal again 
and again until the master returns. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. And I think that really encapsulates what Paul's trying to say here. You should never let familiarity of this breed contempt. I mean, there was a time in church history where people were killed because of what they believed about communion. That's how serious people took it. And that's how serious we should be when we approach it. So Paul would say, if you're a believer, and you're going to do this with so much familiarity that you would breed contempt, then you shouldn't do it. So that's his other warning to us. So as we get ready to celebrate communion, keep that in mind, that this it is for believers. And, and for those of you who are still kind of figuring that out, it's okay. No, nobody's judging. If you don't participate, just sit kind of quietly, watch what goes on. But if you are a believer and you just don't, you know, you know what, I don't know if I can get to that point. And I'm not saying you have to be perfect, you have to be without sin. I don't know how many sins I committed on the way to church this morning, okay? But we're going to have a minute of reflection in just a few minutes where you can deal with that if you need to, okay? But we need to remember this the way that God intended for us to do. We need to allow this to be fellowship with him. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and invite Adam to come back up. He's going to um, play while we while we do this. And while he's coming, let's go ahead and do some logistical things. Uh, if you reach right down in front of you, uh, in the chair in front of you, in the rack below, there you should see a cup that looks like this. Um, these are, if you've never seen these before, they're um, pretty simple. Uh, there's actually two um, little flaps on that thing there. If you pull the first flap, it... Uh, you get the wafer out, and then if you pull the second fl flap, it actually uh, exposes the juice. Um, and uh, that's what we're going to use to to celebrate today. Um, again, it, it's not really about these things, these elements. It's about remembering what, what Jesus did for us. And so um, if you want to go ahead and uh, maybe pull that first one, that would be good. And... Um, <clears throat> So here's what we're going to do as we move into this time where we're, we're going to celebrate. In just a minute, I'm, they're going to pull the lights down and Adam's going to play. And what I want to do is just give you a few minutes to just really reflect on what we've just talked about. Reflect on what Jesus did for us. Get your mind there. Get your heart there. And if you need this time to deal with some things that maybe might be in the way of that, then do that, okay? So you can pray silently, just reflect silently, whatever that looks like. And then in a couple minutes, I'll pray and then we'll get into that. OK, so you guys pray silently.
God, um, thank you that we get to gather today to do this. God, that we um, get to join together and just celebrate this as we remember the sacrifice that Jesus um, made for us. That as we remember all of those things that we walk through, how um, he chose to come and live here on the earth and, and live here for 33 years and then allowed himself to be arrested and crucified and then resurrected, God, that we might be forgiven. That yes, we as a whole of all believers might be forgiven, but that we as individuals can be forgiven as well. And that God, you, you want that for us. You want that fellowship with us. You want communion with us. You want to walk with us each day. You want it to be personal. And so, God, I pray now as we walk into this time together, God, that you would make that very personal in our lives, that, God, we would personally remember what Jesus did for us. God, the riches of your love are enough. God, thank you for all that you do for us. In the passages in 1 Corinthians, um, some of the verses that we skipped over, Paul actually um, walks through what Jesus said in those other Gospels. And then actually, starting in verse 23 is where we're going to pick up. And he said this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. God, as we take of this bread, help us to remember the body of Jesus. God, yes, the body that he took in human form to come and to live here, but the body that was broken, that was broken by the beatings and the, hang, the, the hanging on the cross. But then God, the God, the body that's going to be resurrected, that is resurrected, God, that, that reminds us that we have a future with you. And so God, I pray as we take of this bread, help us to remember that. He did that for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25, it says this, In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. God, 
thank you for the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus that was shed for me. That was shed for all believers. God, that was shed that we might be forgiven. God, as we talked earlier, God, we you created us in your image. And we've been running from that ever since. And it's through Jesus' blood that we can be made like you again. And so, God, I pray that as we do this today, as we drink of this juice, God, that we would be reminded of that, that, God, you make us whole, you make us new, that you want us to be like you. And that that one day we will be like you because we'll be with you in heaven and we'll be celebrating this with Jesus together. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Do this in remembrance of me. Paul finishes this way in verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In a lot of the passages in the Gospels where they had celebrated, it said that they finished by singing a hymn. And so that's how we're going to finish.